How y'all doing? Are you sure? Okay, uh, here's the deal. I know, I know you lost an hour of sleep, okay? You'll never find it again. And, and I know, I, I, I know you, you're, you struggled getting here today. And, and it's cloudy and rainy and cold. And to that, I would just say, welcome to DeSoto County. That's how we roll. And if you don't like the rain, just wait till May. It gets worse. We have Memphis in May, a.k.a. Mud Memphis in May, right, every year. And then you get to June, and we're in a drought every year. So welcome. Glad you're here. But all of that to be said, you guys are here in the house. You made it. You're here. Way to go. Way to go. That is like, check that off the to-do list. You made it here, unlike some other people. We love them anyway. Will you guys help me welcome the rest of our family watching online? We you put your hands together? We love you guys. Thanks for being with us. Facebook, YouTube, Church Online platform, we know that you're on vacation. It's spring break, and we hate you. Um, but we're here. I mean, we love you. We love you. So, next week is it. Time change was this week. Next week, we just decided to make time change again. So, let me just reiterate what Phoebe and April said. Next week, what time? 10.30, not 10.15, you're welcome. There you go, you're welcome. So if you're a first, person, first service person, then obviously just go back to first service and you're, you're good. Um, but we are in the middle of this series called Mental Myths. And did, not, did Pastor Naeem not do a fantastic job last week? How many were here for that? Some of you? <coughs> Nobody? Oh, eight of us? Okay, he did a fantastic job. If you didn't get a chance to watch it by being here, Go online, I highly recommend it. You can watch it on YouTube, go to our website or the app, wherever you view our services. Um, it, it was just a fantastic, I love how he talked about, you know, we have sin and there's, there's the power of sin, but the power of love is oh so much greater than the power of sin. And it just breathed, I don't know about you, but it just breathed life into me. You know what I mean? It's just like, it just made me feel a little better about being me. Any, anybody else? Um, okay. Now, today, we're going to continue this whole idea of mental myths, but um, today is a little different because today I'm going to be speaking to those of you that are in the house or watching online that are Christians. Now, I say that because we don't normally do that here at South Point. Normally, we're talking to other people. Um, but today, we're going to talk specifically to Christians, and it'll make sense as we go on because today is not a day to get saved. Today is a day to get better. It's just a day to get a little bit better and not having to get saved again, which I think is a misnomer anyway. Um, I mean, how many times can you actually get saved? Yeah, once. And so we need to get better at who we are and what's going on. And Christians will immediately say, at least I hope they say, Christians will say when you ask them, who's the Lord of your life? Who's the Lord of your heart? I hope Christians would say, Gee, <laughs> There's like eight Christians in the house. Is that what it is? <laughs> I would hope that as a Christian, if you were asked who's the Lord of your life, you would say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And he is, and that's fantastic. But if you have Jesus living in you, your heart, you know that there's also some other things that hold a title lease to a space in your heart. The Bible word for those things are called idols. Now, that is the deep end of the pool. What about a funny story first, Craig? Ain't got time. Idols. We have idols in our hearts that we need to tear down. And actually, 
Most idols are, some, let me, let me say it this way. Some psychological conditions are not psychological near as much as they are just idols in our heart. For example, workaholism, perfectionism, chronic indecisiveness, constantly trying to control other people. That's just a, a few. Welcome to South Point. Aren't you glad you're here already? It's just like, oh my God. We have these things, and you can pick your idol. I guarantee you have idols in your heart. And you say, well, Craig, I just don't think I do. Okay, um, how about, I, okay, let me, this was one of mine. And I'm going to tell you mine, one of mine, I got, I got lots. <laughs> I think I'm the most honest person in this room right now, because you guys are looking at me like, I'm perfect. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so this is actually a preacher-pastor thing, so it might not fit you, but my point is everybody has their own idols that's in our hearts, okay? And so several years ago, I, had be, I didn't even realize it, but I had gotten to the point where I thought that my identity and my worth was based on how many people were sitting in the church, okay? And so even when I would go to conferences or be around other pastors and that type of thing, I, it was it was excruciatingly painful, and I felt ashamed because when you got together with other pastors, they, they would ask, now, see, some of you might not get this, and that's fine because you're not a pastor, but I'm just, I'm just sharing my, just ripping myself open wide open here, you know. This therapy, thanks for coming. Um, I'd, I'd get with them, and they would ask the question, right? How, how many, one way or the other, they would basically ask, how, how many are you running? How many are at church? And no matter what number they said, if I came in under that, I felt like I was less than. I was not enough. I had attached my personal wealth and value to an arbitrary number that had nothing to do with who God made me to be. And it got so bad that, um, I, I mean, I, okay, it got so bad. Have you ever been angry at God? Okay, just me. That's fine. That's fine. I get angry at God. And so there was one Sunday where I was down here sitting right there in the old blue chairs. Anybody remember those? Right there on my corner. And I'm worshiping. And I did the whole, so I'm worshiping. And I did the whole look over my shoulder. And there was like not, okay, now air quotes, not enough people here. Is this too honest for you guys? Is this? You're like, oh, you mean he's human. Yeah, I was not enough people here. And I turned back around. I'm, worship, I'm looking like I'm worshiping, but what I'm doing is arguing with God. Anybody, okay. And I'm, so I'm standing there, and I'm like, why have you called me here for this? I gave up all of that, sold a house, and all, gave up all this stuff, all this money, all of these places, and you brought me here for this? This is ridiculous. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> don't throw stones yet. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Why would you call me here for this? And have you ever had the Holy Spirit grab you by the throat? See, he grabs you by the throat because he needs you to shut up. And the Holy Spirit grabbed me by the throat and he said, um, I, I didn't call you here for people. I called you here to pastor. So before you complain, let me ask you a question. I called you here to pastor. Would you pastor if only two people showed up? I did not answer his question for weeks. <laughs> so some of the sermons where you're like, Pastor Craig seems a little angry. That's because I was arguing with God right before I got up here. 
I honestly did not answer his question. I didn't pray for about two weeks. I, I'm not, I'm just, just, this is just me, my idol. Come on, anybody. I feel very naked right now. Um, so, uh, didn't pray for about two weeks. And finally I said, okay, God, I accept my calling. And see what these words, the sound that my words were making were the same sounds that an idol smashing on the floor sounds like. I said, God, not my will, but what you want. And I came that Sunday fully expecting two people to show up. Like genuinely, like that was... I was, I was ready. In fact, so much so, during worship, I didn't even turn around. You know, it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to sing. I'm going to be in my own little world. I'm going to preach to my wife and one other random person. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And I got up here, and was there a bunch of people? No, it was about the, what, it, what it has been. But the point was, I learned that I had built an idol altar in my heart and attached my self-worth to something that is completely arbitrary. See, anything that you elevate above God in your heart is an idol. If you elevate your kids and their safety above God and His provision, that is an idol. If you have to work so much to make enough money to feel good about yourself, then again, that's workaholism, workaholism, and that is an idol that needs to be torn down because the only reason you have the strength to work is because God put the breath in your lungs. He is your provider, and if you can't trust him with that, then you have an idol. There's something that you have elevated above that. Does that, does that make sense? Now, when I say idols, you might think, okay, I don't really know what you're talking about because idols are these little statues or like a big statue or whatever. Those are idols, and they're all over the Bible. True, 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 true. They're all in the Bible. But more than that of being a statue idol, there's this thing called idols of the heart. Look at this. Um, Ezekiel 14.3, son of man, these leaders have set up idols on their front porch. Nope. On the street corner. Nope. In the back porch. Nope. They set these idols up in their hearts. The Bible uses three basic metaphors to explain how you process these idols. Are you all still with me? Today's a lot of teaching, but here's the deal. I really believe that if you will latch onto this teaching, it will do something in you that you've never had done before, and it will change you and explode you into a whole new way of living that you never even knew was possible because you're going to learn how to find idols, take idols, and tear down idols so you can elevate Jesus Christ to the position that he belongs in your life. Okay, okay, they love the idols, you can fill in the blank, they love idols, they trust idols, and obey idols, and so you might still be like, oh, but Craig, I just don't, I don't physically bow down to even idols of the heart, I don't do that, okay, you might not bow down to the idol of Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, but how many know there's a lot of young ladies and women that are driven to depression and body shame and eating disorders because they have elevated a certain shape and look above the creation that God made them. Or you say, well, I still don't know. I'm, I'm happy being plump. I'm good. I don't have a struggle with that. Um, you, you might not bow down at the altar of Athena, the god of success and power and money. You, you might not bow down to that idol, but... 
when your job and your money become so elevated and you're striving so hard after a certain position and station of life that you somehow create some sort of child sacrifice by sacrificing your children, your family, your church, and your community to make yourself feel better about the money you're making. How we doing? Just a little temperature check. Just a little temperature check. Okay, it's, it's, it's spicy. It's spicy. Pick your pick your idol. I, I mean, just pick your idol. You you have some. I've already shared one of mine, a pretty big one that I've had to tear down and destroy. Thank God. I thank God for showing that. Well, just pick yours. You you've got one right now. I know you do because we're human. We're human. We have these things, and. Here's the struggle. The struggle is we get saved by Jesus Christ and our sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, woo! And we're feeling good for about a day. And we love Jesus and we keep coming to church. We might even be in a small group. But then we live our life feeling defeated. Walking through life defeated. And our biggest struggle in life has become trying to forgive ourselves over those things. Check this out. The reason you struggle and you're defeated and the reason you're always trying to build yourself back up is because you keep going to the altar of the idols in your heart trying to find forgiveness and refreshment and encouragement from an idol. Let me help you out. An idol will always say you are not enough. An idol of your heart will always tell you you're not a good enough parent. Listen to these words. You're not a good enough parent. You're horrible with finances. You don't know what you're doing. Nobody likes you. You're not even a good person. Those are altars of idols because you can never appease an idol. However, there is another altar in your heart, follower of Jesus Christ, and it's the altar of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And when you come to his altar, he is doing the exact opposite of what an idol. An idol says you're never enough. Jesus says, I made you. You're beautiful. In me, you're perfect. You are a success. You are over the top amazing. You are successful. You're a conqueror. No, 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 no. That's not even enough. You are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Everything you put your hands to and speak over is blessed because I made you just like you are in my righteousness. I have now been infused into your life. If you're struggling with that, can I tell you something? There's two altars in your heart. One's going to tell you you're never enough, and the other one is going to say, I made you just like I made you, and I love you just like I made you, and you are the apple of the eye, and I did everything, including laying down my life for you. So if you're discouraged, you're at the wrong altar. So if you want to find out the idols in your heart, where are you constantly being discouraged? Where are you constantly being beat up? Because it's not the Holy Spirit. Well, I just, I feel convicted. No, you, you don't feel convicted. You feel condemnation. And that is never of God. That is always of the enemy. And that is an altar of an idol that's in your heart. So if you're feeling condemned, tear it down. And turn and walk over to the altar of Jesus Christ that's already in your heart. And say, Jesus, how can I build you up even more? Okay. This is a huge topic, right? There's no way we can cover all this in in a day, right, or even in 14 more minutes. <laughs> um, but here's what I'm hoping today we'll do. Uh, I really hope that this will just be a conversation starter. 
that you'll talk about this throughout the week with your friends, your family, your small groups, to unpack this because this is huge. One theologian said this. He said, all of the Bible is just talking about how to remove idols from your heart. That's a pretty big statement. He said it. I didn't. But one way or the other, it's a big topic. So make this, make this just a topic of conversation this week. Okay, so here's what I want to do for our remaining time. I want to overlay, superimpose this teaching that I just said on idols. You got it? Remember it? On this Bible story character named Jonah. Now, when I say Jonah, 99.9% of you say, oh, you mean the dude that got swallowed by the fish? That's such an amazing story. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's so Sunday school. Oh, I feel like a child again. Tell me how the whale swallowed him. And then throw in the theology like, oh, it's not a whale. It's a big fish. Oh, it'd be so great. Okay. Um, There's being swallowed by a fish is like a couple verses in this incredible book about Jonah, one of the most angry prophets ever, right? He's just like, he, he's, he's constipated. He's got to be. He's just, he's struggling. And uh, so, so check out this verse. The very beginning of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. And I would highly recommend, listen, we're going to hit the surface of this thing. I would highly recommend, it's only four chapters. This week, read the book of Jonah, okay? And just pull some more stuff out of this. It's only four chapters. You can do that. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, God says, get up, he's talking to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Okay, 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 okay. Now, you got to understand the history to understand what's going to happen. So, can I, you ready for a little history lesson? Are you guys ready for a little history lesson? Okay, sweet, sweet. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, we find out that Jonah is actually a prophet and a counselor for King Jeroboam. Now, King Jeroboam is the king over Israel. Hang with me. Hang with me. King Jeroboam is the king over Israel, and the Bible tells us that he is an evil king. He's committing sin after sin after sin. He is actually raising up idols and altars to false gods, tearing down um, the, the, the places where God like capital G, God is worshiped. And so, and Jonah is encouraging him and telling King Jeroboam, hey, build up your armies even more. Jonah was a big patriot for his country. Build up your armies even more and let's expand our borders and go kill all of these people and we'll just take over the world. We'll just do that and I'll pray for you and it'll just be a God thing. Okay, so there's got two other prophets that were going on at the same time as Jonah, and these are also in the Bible. Um, I know you love reading your minor prophets in the Old Testament. Amos and Hosea, they were prophets at the same time as Jonah, and when you read their books, you find out that they're saying the exact opposite. They're like, King Jeroboam, you're evil. You're, you're bad. You need, you're going to burn in hell, basically. Like, they're just the exact opposite of Jonah. Okay, so Jonah is actually wanting to kill all of this other kingdom. The, are you all still with me? Okay, this other kingdom called Assyria, which was the largest kingdom at that time. And the capital of Assyria is, guess what? The city of, some of you have read this story before, the city of Nineveh. So Nineveh is the capital of this entire country called Assyria, all right? And they were the worst of the worst people. They were evil. They were nasty. They were the mortal enemies of the kingdom of God. And so understand this. God needs to send somebody to Nineveh, to Assyria, to Nineveh, and he chooses the, the most unlikely, 
racial prophet patriot called Jonah. Now, did God need to send Jonah? No. Jonah needed God to send Jonah. Because Jonah had a whole lot of idols in his heart that he needed torn down to be able to see what God is wanting to do through him. Okay? So, you good? Okay, back to, back to the Bible. Okay, okay. So Jonah thought that when God says go to Nineveh, Jonah thought he had a vote, right? And he voted with his feet. Nope. Nope, not going. Check this out. I love this. This is so funny. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. And it is verse 3. Your notes say 23. Little typo. There's no such thing as Jonah chapter 1, verse 23. So it's just Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. Okay? Okay, moving on. But, so God says, go to Nineveh. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went, I think this verse is so funny, because um, God says, go here, and he's like, I'm going to go the other direction, because obviously you've never been to Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. He was going to escape by going to Tarshish. And you might read that and go, what a schmuck. I would never do that. You, I know you can't run from God. Oh, my goodness. But before we start throwing shade at Jonah, you need to understand something. The reason he went the opposite direction is because he bumped into one of his idols. And a lot of times we don't go the direction God has called us to go, not because we're ugly or mean or divisive. It's because we bump into one of our idols that we didn't even know was there. It's like, if any of you ever had little kids, and they make a noise in the middle of the night, and you, you get out of bed to go check on them, and you're walking through the house barefoot because nobody sleeps in shoes, that's just weird. And so you're walking through the house barefoot, and you get to their room, and you step on one of those torture devices that had to be made in China. It's called a Lego. Anyone? Anyone? Yes, I see moms and dads, and I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that. You step on a Lego barefoot, it will change your life. Anyone, anyone, and then you, you step on that thing, and it hurts like seven kinds of hurt. So then by the time you get to your kid's bed, you're cussing out loud. You're like, you son of a, right, right? You're just like, you're just all in you. You're all upset. And like the Lego, it was in the dark, and you didn't see it. But when you step on it, it definitely changes the way you walk. And when God tells you to go somewhere, you might not see the idols in your heart, but when you step on one, it'll change the way you walk. And Jonah stepped on one, and he ended up going the other direction. He went the other direction. So, because he, he bumped up, a, up against some idols, some idols. Here's the first one. Write this down. Fill in the blank. He he stepped on a personal idol. It was personal. See, Jonah wanted ministry success. And if you're not in ministry, you can take ministry out. Jonah wanted success more than he wanted obedience to God. He chose success over obedience to God. And you got to think about it. God, God set Jonah up for a lose-lose situation. It was, I mean, think about this. He sent Jonah, who we later find out in the book, struggled a little bit with racism, struggled a little bit with um, the whole patriotic and Assyria and all that, struggled with these things. And so he sends Jonah there, and he sends him to their mortal enemies. So if they don't like the message that Jonah is preaching, and let's be honest, the message is not the most encouraging. If they don't like it, what are they going to do? They're enemies. They're already at war. They're going to kill him. They're just going to kill him. Or, okay, so that's, that's not successful. That's not successful. 
Or think about the other one. If Jonah preaches and they actually repent and find the grace and mercy of God, then Jonah, who's been preaching against Assyria this entire time that they're going to go to hell, they're horrible people, they're so far from God, his ministry will now be coined as the guy who led them to God. Failure! So he's been set up as a failure no matter how you look at it. Okay, but really all God's trying to do is tear down the idols of his heart. Fill in the blank. Racial pride and cultural narrowness cannot coexist with the gospel of grace. Racial pride and cultural narrowness cannot exist with the gospel of grace. Isn't it interesting that we always try to justify ourselves, thinking of ourselves superior, comparing ourselves to other countries, kinds, communities. We compare and we always come up out superior. And that doesn't work in the gospel of Jesus Christ because we're human. We are his creation. So let, let me ask you a question this way. Who do you hate? Okay, okay. I know that's like a strong word, right? Uh, so let me, <laughs> never out of your mouth because um, that would be politically incorrect, right? But in your mind, who do you hate? Oh, I'll soften the blow a little bit since we're talking to Christians today and we're really more... Okay. Um, who do you dislike? Who do you struggle with? Who annoys you? Um, if you're a patriot, is it the people who burn flags that you hate? If you're the white man, is it the black man that you hate? If you're a black man, is it the brown man you hate? If you're straight, is it the LGBTQ community that you hate? Look at how quiet it is in here. If you're part of the LGBT community, is it Christians that you hate? Who bothers you? Check this out. Whoever you hate, or if you don't like that word, whoever you dislike the most whether it be a kind of people, a group of people, or one individual person, you know, whatever it is, um, that person, people, or group should be at the top of your prayer list. As Christians, we are really good at hating and throwing shade and horrible at praying for others. Now, before, uh, before you, uh, I'll just be honest. Can I be honest for a second? Um, I say that. I hate that. It's not like I've been lying this whole time. So can I be honest for a second? Because everything I've said so far is a complete fabrication of the truth. Um, I spend more time. This was a conviction for me in writing this message. I spend more time praying for you and my family and my friends than I do my enemies. But Jesus said this. Matthew 5, 44, but I say, love your, what? And then check this out, just a simple command. Yet if we would do this, I really think it would change the world. Pray for those people who persecute you. Pray, let me just say it in, in just real language. Pray for those people who piss you off. Instead of the next post, how about you just stop? 
instead of throwing shade and hate and unkindness and having enemies, if you have enemies and you know who they are, that's the very thing that needs to move them to the top of your prayer list. And if you're unwilling to do that, then my dear, you have an idol of your heart that you think you are better than all of them. And again, in Jesus, we're not. We're not. How we doing? Two more. Hurry up. Okay. Here's the second one. Cultural idol. Now, you could also say political idol. And um, I'm not going to say a whole lot about this, only because March 26th, you can write it down. I'm gonna, it's in this message series. I'm going to do a whole sermon message on politics. And that response right there is the reason I've never done it. Um, right there. So come March 26th, and I guarantee I will offend you no matter which side of the aisle you are on or where you are in your life. Um, so come be offended together. What do you say? Some of you, some of you tell me after hard messages, you're like, I like it when you preach those hard messages. <laughs> I'll see you March 26th. I will say this. I think we've kind of blurred the lines between patriotism and fanaticism. And we've blurred that line. And fanaticism is an idol of the heart. But see... The good idols, the best idols, come from the good things. See, because patriotism is a good thing. But it can become an idol of fanaticism. Having a strong work ethic is a good thing. Workaholism is an idol. Are, are we doing okay? All right, so March 26th, you can check that out. Okay, so let me, let me catch up the story real quick. Y'all still good? Okay, I really am almost done. I promise, I promise, I promise. Okay, um, the story is Jonah, God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, heck no, I won't go. Gets on a ship and starts headed to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And then a great storm comes up. Jonah is asleep in the boat. That's crazy, right? That sounds like something in the New Testament. And the sailors come to Jonah and says, why are you sleeping? Do you not care we're all going to die? You need to pray. And so they pray or whatever, and then they throw Jonah into the sea, and the storm immediately stops. And because of that moment, it says that the sailors decided to start worshiping God, Yahweh God, and make sacrifices to him. Isn't it interesting that even in your disobedience, God can still work through you to change somebody's life? Isn't that awesome? I love it that you, you can't screw this up. That's helpful, is it not? <laughs> no matter how hard you try, he still makes all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. I love that. Okay, so he's thrown in the sea, and then a big fish catches him and swallows him, and this is the first uber we see in the Bible, and takes him all the way to Nineveh. Why did he take it with a fish? Because a fish can swim faster than you can run. And he can swim faster than you can run away from God and sail away from God. A fish can take you right where you need to go. And I love it that a fish delivers Jonah up to the shores of Nineveh when Nineveh was a pagan culture that worshipped <laughs> worshipped the fish god. So don't you love that they had a fish that delivered the god of the universe to them? I love that. Um, you think you got a god? Your god does nothing but serve my god. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So Jonah preaches the message. He reluctantly, he's like this reluctant prophet, and his message, his sermon, is the worst ever. Like, I work hard at illustrations and stories and tying it all together and all this stuff. Here's Jonah's life-giving message that he preached to Nineveh, 150,000 people residents there. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, you're all going to die. How many would be encouraged with that, right? Hey, in 40 days, dunzo, 
deadzo, gonzo, no moss, to hell with you. Just, it's over and over, done. And Jonah's waiting for them to burn in hell. Please don't forget this. He doesn't like them. He does not want them to get saved. Have you ever seen somebody, has, has God ever saved somebody in your life that you hated and wish they didn't get saved? And then they get saved, and then you start doubting their actions and think they're faking. And if you say you don't do this, I hear this conversation a whole lot. There's no way a person like that could change that much to be following Jesus Christ because they're not as good as I am. So Jonah, let's talk about Jonah. It's just so much easier than talking about us. Jonah preached, and they don't, they get saved. They do the unthinkable. They actually listen to this horrible message, and they get saved and start following God. And look at Jonah's response. He bumps up against his third idol, and that's the religious idol. And he the religious idol, fill in the blank. And this is what he says, Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. And when you become angry at God, what do you do? It's in the verse, so he, come on, the only complainers are over here. Come on, everybody. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, God? That is why I ran away to Tarshish anyway. I knew you were going to save them. Dear God, you're so merciful and compassionate to God. You're slow to get angry. We're way quicker to get angry at sinners than God is. We're way quicker to throw stones. We're way quicker to post a post that you should have never posted to begin with because we operate too many times out of our own religious idol rather than operating out of the grace and mercy that Jesus Christ has for us. And compassionate God, slow to get angry, and fill, you're filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. See, Jonah was unable to get, give grace because he didn't get grace. See, and I think we're in that same boat a lot. We receive grace. Listen to my words. We receive grace because it's fantastic, right? We receive grace, but we don't get it because if we got it, then we could give it. We receive grace because it feels good, but we don't get it because if I got it, I could give it. We experience grace, but you can't necessarily give an experience. I, I hope you're hearing me because this, this is like the point of the whole message, so please don't miss this. Jesus comes along in Matthew, it's not in your notes, you can write it down. Jesus comes along in Matthew 12, 39, and he says in the New Testament, he says he is the ultimate Jonah. It's pretty cool. And if you think about it, Jonah's on a boat in a storm, asleep, and the sailors come and say, you don't care. New Testament, Jesus is in a boat, sleeping during a storm, and the disciples come and say, you don't care. They had to throw Jonah in the water to stop the storm because Jonah didn't have grace, but Jesus was able to stop the storm because he is grace. Jonah is in the belly of a fish for three days. Jesus is in a tomb for three days. Jonah gets sent to the worst city and the worst people to give grace, but he can't give grace because he doesn't have grace. Jesus came out of heaven to go to the worst places to the worst people, and he gave them grace because he is grace. 
Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, listen right here, and then we'll pray. And I got good news for you. Because just as God sent Jonah and God sent Jesus, Jesus is sending us to the worst places, to the worst people, to give them grace. Look at this verse, John 20, 21, again. And I, you know, it's like, even if, if Jesus has to repeat himself to his disciples, we probably need to hear it again too. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If you believe that God sent Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to save humanity, that power lives in you and me, and we are sent to the worst places, to the worst people, to give the grace of Jesus Christ. If we leave the idols built in our heart, then all we're doing is preaching our own agendas and not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you, who has God put in your life right now and you don't like them? They're a group of people, a person, a kind of person, what, whatever. And they're in your life, and you already know, like when I say that, you're like, oh yeah, I don't like them at all, okay? Then how about we use this as a clarion call to move them to the top of our prayer list? Because if we would move all of our enemies to the top of our prayer list, I'm telling you, it'll change where we live. Because God sent us to do this, and he, want, he will empower us to do it. So... For the next few weeks, find that person, pray for them, start praying for them, and then Easter is a little ways away. Here's what I want you to do. Let's be proactive. Pray for them for the next several weeks, and then invite them to church on Easter Sunday. What do you think? What if they come? What if they come and get saved? What if they come and find Jesus Christ and their life is transformed? What if there was just more people in DeSoto County being kind? We you bow your heads? Close your eyes. Let me pray with us pray for you. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. I thank you for your word and the power of your word. And I thank you that you didn't save us and leave us. You saved us and sent us. And so, Father, right now I ask that you show us the idols that are in our heart, those places that we find the most discouragement. Give us the power and strength to tear down these idols. And then, Lord, send us. Show us the people in our life that you have sent us to, specifically to minister to, to pray for, and to help introduce them to the kingdom of God. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Listen, if you need prayer for anything, there's beautiful people down front on both sides that would love to pray with you. And if you're also a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to take communion today, you're more than welcome. It's down front on both sides. Stand with me, if you will. And we will do the benediction. Are you ready? Are you digging the new benediction? Make this a prayer over our hearts this week. Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as we trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his super abundance until you radiate with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, y'all. Love you.